Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hi and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855am. 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name's Zach and from the Brainwaves team today we have Andrew and Alana. Today on the show we're going to be talking with Ben on his campaign for better access to mental health services for Australians. Uh, So Dr. Ben Mullings is a counselling psychologist from Western Australia and across the last decade Ben's been actively engaging in campaigning for mental health policy reform to expand public access to psychological care. So thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, Firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about the current Medicare rebate scheme? The current system is one where uh, people need to go and see a GP first or a psychiatrist to get uh, an assessment of their mental health issue and requires people to complete a mental health care plan initially. And part of that requirement is uh, you end up with a a diagnostic label, so say depression, anxiety, uh, or some other mental health condition. Uh, But then what happens is that that allows the GP to refer someone to go and talk to a psychologist or a social worker or an OT uh, to receive uh, up to 10 sessions of psychological care um, in, in each calendar year, running from 1st of January each year. <clears throat> the first block is six sessions of appointments, and after those six sessions, people need to go back to their GP and get uh, a letter <clears throat> saying that they would like, uh, the GP would like for them to continue, and then they can get another four sessions, bringing it up to that 10 appointments per year. And after that, the Medicare system uh, doesn't have any more support available for people to access ongoing psychological care. Um, there are other other systems that are available there for some people. So you can go and see a psychiatrist uh, for up to 50 appointments a year. Um, I don't know of anyone who's received anywhere near that amount of appointments from a psychiatrist. I understand it's quite difficult to get uh, that number of sessions. Um, but uh, that that's part of the uh, the Medicare scheme as well as a separate thing. Mm, okay. So then what type of people or populations typically um, access this scheme? Uh, so, yeah, as I said, uh, it's... It can include anyone really who is struggling with uh, mental health, uh, provided that the GP has an identified um, mental health condition that that they 
identify with that client. So, you know, that that's part of the scheme. There's a short list of of, uh, of mental health disorders that are, are covered by the scheme. Mm, so they um, need to be diagnosed. They do, yep. Okay. And the you know that's usually of a of a quick form. So you, you'd see the the GP, um, and you might you know you might have a twenty minute um, to to half an hour consultation, um, fill out some paperwork. It's it's usually not that uh, intensive, but um, you know what happens is is you come out of that um, with some sense of what the problem area is and then, um, you know, you, you may be referred on to psychological uh, care from there. Some of, the, some of the surveys that have come out have indicated that, um, you know, although the scheme is intended, um, was originally conceived to be uh, for people uh, accessing therapy for a short duration, um, that actually the vast majority of people who have accessed therapy this way, uh, so around 80% of, of people, and this is a number of surveys, are showing high to very high levels of symptom severity. So people are quite distressed. And I'd, I'd argue that's got to do with uh, the way Australians access mental health services. That we, we tend to uh, try to do things uh, by ourselves for a while. We see how we go with... Um, with, uh, you know, trying a few things on our own. And then if that's not working uh, well for us, uh, sometimes things deteriorate and we might go and see a GP uh, or a psychiatrist after that. Mm, I guess it's quite interesting because um, I know for myself, I get a bit of anxiety thinking that that I only have 10 sessions for the whole Mm. year. Um, And I guess it would be quite interesting to see, like, how many uni students would feel this because there's not a lot of support within unis um with the like the cost factor and people not being able to actually talk about their issues because there's only 10 sessions so I guess some people might think that why would I want to open myself up if I only can talk for nine more sessions absolutely yeah Yeah. so I guess coming from like a uni student um point of view um yeah it is really hard um because there's only 10 sessions, it's quite daunting and it actually yeah. gives me quite, like, a bit of anxiety. Yeah, and, and that can compound problems, um, you know, especially if someone's actually already coming with anxiety and stress. They may then become stressed about, you know, the time limit on therapy. Uh, people can, you know, they often report, um, say, for instance, if they're depressed, that they, they may see it as a personal failure if they're not able to recover in a sufficient period of time. Mm, um, even though it's definitely not their failure. Um, and, you know, the I guess the, the problem with these sort of systems is that ultimately therapists are put in a really difficult position with clients that we're, we're having to consider things like, okay, how do we ration out therapy so that when we come to the end of these 10 sessions, they're not left with nothing. So, you know, we're always thinking about that problem of do we space out the appointments um, across the year, which would be less than one session a month, um, if you've got 10 sessions across 12 months. Um, And then, you know, potentially you're not really achieving much in each appointment you've got so much to cover in each session 
that's happened in over the months that you've seen them that uh, you, you know you're really struggling to get productive headway. Mm, and from my understanding, in, in 2014, I think they changed it from 18 to to um, the 10 visits. Um, yeah. Do you do you have any um, idea why or any any kind of thinking behind why they did that? To save money. Um, I think what happened <laughs> is the, um, you know, the program was such, such a success that so many people, so many Australians started uh, talking uh, to a therapist for the first time and actually started to make a difference. And the outcomes for the program are just tremendous. But people have, have started to make a r- real changes to their lives. Um, but what's happened is, you know, the government has, has seen, the federal government has seen that program is being used by so many people, and that, of course, means that Medicare support is being, um, is costing. Mm. And so they, they've decided, well, to cut costs, we will simply cut the number of sessions. So, so given that, that there's such a demand for it, and at the same time mm. there is a finite of, of money that we have, what sort of solution or what sort of would you like to see um, yeah, yeah, transpire or go forward from this? Well, I guess the, the first issue is around the, that rationale of, you know, the, the notion that you can save money by cutting, cutting off access to therapy. I, I personally, I think that's false economy. I don't think that that, that rationale makes any sense, uh, simply because when you look at the figures, the, the economic return mm. on investing in mental health care has been shown to be anywhere from uh, $3 for every, uh, every dollar that you invest in mental health care. So um, we, we get a return on investment of $3 back. Uh, and when we incorporate health costs, so that's just to the economy, when we incorporate health costs, that figure rises up to about uh, $5 for every return, every $1 that we invest in mental health care. So you'd struggle to find any other area where the return on investment for mental health spending would be so great as in mental health. So the government's being a bit short-sighted? I think they are. And, you know, when you look at the practical side of it, say, for instance, with hospital days, if someone has to be hospitalised, if they need to go into... um, care at that level, then we're talking about a cost of $1,000 a day uh, on average. And so the figures just don't add up. If, if we let people deteriorate, it's not just costing in terms of those extreme cases. We're, we're looking at things like, well, this person's so depressed or anxious that they can't go to work or they're not being productive at work. That's a cost to the economy. It's a, it's a cost to the um the productivity of businesses and, and their ability to generate capital for for our economy. So I don't think the reasoning actually works in the first place. And I would argue that it's, it's very short-sighted. And can I say, I think one of the, the reasons why this happens is, um, you know, why governments do that is they, they need to give the political appearance of, of allowing people to access therapy. So there's a lot of fanfare and, um, you know, positioning of of politicians at events around mental health. And they're they're very much needing to be seen to be um, 
uh, putting the message forward that uh, that people should get mental health care and uh, that, that they are actually providing services. But unfortunately, you know, if they don't sustain the, the level of support that people have access to, then in, invariably what happens is just a token effort. You know, we, we're really saying, well, yes, we've provided services to so many thousands of people each year, uh, but unfortunately, if, if you're only giving people half a dose of what they need uh, and they're going to need significantly more, there's, there's really not much point in that. Um, so we understand that you believe that the mental health uh, treatment plan shouldn't be just a label, um, rather than a general view taking into consideration for someone's current circumstances. Yeah. Why do you think that this should change? There's a lot of reasons. Um, probably the, the biggest one is it has to do with how the individual person conceptualises their own problem. So, for instance, some people, they don't want to identify with a label like depression. You know, they, they may associate that with severe mental illness and they just may not wish to see themselves that way. And for a lot of people, you know, you, you don't really want to be preventing them from getting access to help early on if the label is the one thing that's holding them back. <clears throat> and sometimes people have really good reasons not to want a label. You know, if you, if you work in the Defence Force, or if you are pursuing a career in, uh, in say, um, medicine or the police forces, you know, if you're working up north, um, say, in offshore uh, rigs and mine sites and things, you know, you might be uh, concerned about insurance companies uh, tagging you with a mental health issue uh, or medical files being pulled. And so, you know, the last thing we really want in Australia, I think, is is to be having people so concerned about the label that they don't get help. And that can, you know, it's not just an impact on, on their lives in, in financial terms, this can actually lead to loss of life if things uh, really get out of hand for people. And if it's not resulting in loss of life, it can, it can really cost people their jobs, their family life, all kinds of things. Do you think that, that people need to go to a doctor to get that diagnosis or they should be able to have a certain amount of of sessions um, with a psychologist without having to go to that doctor referral system? Yeah, I think people should be able to go uh, to see a therapist before they see a GP, um, simply because some people do that anyway. They, they will come and see, uh, say, a psychologist or a social worker first, um, and they know that they, they need some help. They want some counselling, for instance. And, um, you know, I, I think it makes sense to allow people to start the process as early on as, as we can, and then perhaps after a few sessions, maybe, maybe three or two, um, possibly even up to five, you know, maybe we, we then send a person to the GP with a treatment plan, um, a proposed treatment plan, and, uh, you know, a possible assessment about... Um, know how we might conceptualize this person's problem area um, so that they can get approval for ongoing work. Um, so the Medicare rebate scheme is intended to be used for individuals with mild mental health problems however 
We know that the wider population uses this scheme to help their management for more serious mental health issues. Um, I guess the question is, what happens to these individuals with quite serious mental health problems um, once the 10 sessions run out? Um, well, simply put, they, they can't access. If, if they don't have uh, financial backing of their own, Medicare simply cannot provide any more uh, support for them to keep seeing that psychologist or social worker or OT. So if they've built up a rapport with that counsellor, that would signal the end of their therapy if they need more. Um, I would say, though, that the, the line that we hear from both major parties, the Liberal and Labor Party, when they've been in power, um, about uh, the program only being intended for mild cases, um, it's a little bit of political spin because if you look at the list of uh, the disorders that they include uh, on the scheme, you're actually talking about conditions that can be quite complex and severe um, and that there, there are actual sections inside of the treatment manuals for, those, uh, for the Medicare scheme uh, that show that this has always been intended for people who have more complex needs as well. Um, I think that that suggestion that it was only for mild problems has emerged later on, uh, around 2014, when the rationale came in to cut the program down to 10 visits. Um, but to answer your question, yes, it's certainly it, there's no options really beyond that. Um, you could go and see a psychiatrist uh, to start therapy with a different practitioner there. Um, and some psychiatrists certainly do uh, do use psychotherapy. Um, unfortunately, others don't. So it's, you know, it's a mixed bag of whether you're going to get medication management, psychotherapy, or some combination of, of the two. But the, the key problem is that if you've established a rapport with a counsellor, you're essentially being asked to start again with somebody else Okay, so changing directions slightly right now, we want to talk a bit more about you. Um, so can you tell us about your work with the Australian Mental Health Party? Uh, a couple of years ago, it would have been around 2014, uh, I, was, I was approached by a number of different uh, mental health consumers around um, the issue of creating a mental health party. So creating a political party that is dedicated to mental health and wellbeing. And part of the reason uh, that suggestion came forward, I think, was from my campaigning with the Alliance for Better Access uh, back around 2011. Uh, I'd been working for, for about five years to, to try and get some of these problems with Medicare that we've been talking about uh, to be fixed. And um, unfortunately, uh, we, we didn't really have much luck with the uh, Labor Party and then the Liberal Party when they came into power and so this suggestion came up that look maybe the solution is to to have a voice in politics around mental health and well-being um, rather than relying on uh, other political parties mm. now when i when i looked into this i you know it really challenged my thinking um, we realized that no one else in the world had actually taken that approach yet 
we have political parties for all kinds of things, um, you know, but we, we haven't seen one yet until now uh, for mental health. So when I was asked uh, to, to help in getting this group started, I, I thought about how we would frame that and I realised that a lot of the problems that we were having with uh, the major parties, and I would include the Greens in that, is that they tend to have a, a different emphasis, a different uh, ideology that, that means that issues around mental health get missed. So, for instance, if, if your focus is on um, you know, economic productivity, if it's around small and, and big business, um, you know, say if you're on the conservative end of the political spectrum, then, you know, th- those kind of issues around finance and, and business are going to take the fall and people are going to uh, see mental health as just being a cost or a product of the uh, financial uh, success or failure of the system. Mm. And if you were to look at it from the perspective of, say, uh, the Labor Party, where you know, we're dealing with issues of uh, disadvantage and class and, and workers' rights and, um, you know, the focus is very much on providing um, other forms of social infrastructure with the idea that mental health will naturally be resolved, mental health issues will naturally be resolved in the process. But I think you can only take that argument so far and that actually, you know, mental health issues can, can come up for people regardless of uh, some of those factors, and that if we're consistently putting mental health care last, then what ends up happening is that that people's problems get worse and we end up with even more inequality and disadvantage. Mm. You know, I'd argue that one of the most disadvantaging um, experiences for a person is, is to be struggling with mental health issues and not to be able to get any support in the first place. And likewise with the environmentalism um, emphasis with the Greens, that, you know, that they all do really good work, uh, each of the political parties, in their sphere of, of influence. But I think what tends to happen is mental health ends up as, a, as an issue that occurs in the background, as a secondary priority, and I don't think we can afford to do that anymore. So what I decided to do is, you know, rather than make a political party that is just purely focused on mental illness, we thought, how do we bring people together? How can we be as inclusive as possible in society and really make mental health and and positive wellbeing something that everybody can can identify with rather than it being about sectional interests or someone else's problem. Could you just explain to us what the Better Access for Mental Health Alliance is? So the Alliance for Better Access is a group of members of the community. You've got people with lived experience. You've got friends, families, carers primarily. And then also psychologists, social workers, OTs, GPs, psychiatrists. We've tried to be inclusive across that, who are all focused on trying to correct this system with with Medicare and and the support that people get. What we're unified on are those issues around giving people fair access to uh, the right number of sessions. So for instance, those who who need up to 20 appointments or more 
should be able to get access to that. Um, we shouldn't need to be having people going back and forth between GP appointments, you know, to, to get approval for the next block of sessions. And we certainly shouldn't be cutting off therapy prematurely and uh, leaving people in the lurch like that. So we're, we're hoping, um, we've hoped for some time to persuade um, politicians to take an interest in the subject, but um, that's, that's where the Alliance for Better Access has really gone a little bit more quiet in the last year or two. We've done a lot of things over the years. So we've done radio programs like this before. Um, we had a fully conforming uh, petition uh, lodged in the Senate by Senator Sue Boyce, which had uh, over 10,000 signatures um, submitted to, to Parliament. Um, we've, we've run all kinds of campaigns over the years. We even managed to get a letter from Dr Aaron Beck, uh, the man who invented cognitive behaviour therapy, he's in his 90s now, oh, wow. uh, to, to tell the Minister for Health at the time, Peter Dutton, uh, that people need on average uh, around 24 appointments for optimal uh, treatment of depression. And that, that letter was quietly ignored. Oh. Uh, that's up on my website, by the way, if people want to see that. And touching on that, because you know you sound really passionate about trying to um, help people with mental health, and I think so are our listeners. And what way do you, would you suggest that they can kind of get involved and help support you and, and your cause as well? Oh, there's lots of ways. Um, if if people like the idea of the political party that we've mentioned here, that that's where I'm putting most of my energy at the moment. And we we really want as many people as possible to get involved to sign up as members, which is free, by the way. Uh, if people want to donate or become a financial member, they can, but it's free to, to anyone who uh, is a registered voter in Australia. Um, and uh, they could volunteer for some of our committees. Uh, we really want to hear from as many people with uh, lived experience and uh, an interest in working um, in this area to bring their ideas together. You could write to your representatives. Uh, their emails are actually available uh, online. I don't know if people know that, but you can uh, go and get their emails and, and send letters to them um, asking for these issues to be debated and changed, hopefully. Um, you know, or you can get involved. You can find us online and, um, and chime in with your opinion. So just lastly, um, what do you hope for the future of public mental health? Um, and like, what do you think that it will look like in 10 years from now? That's a really good question. Uh, honestly, what I'd really like to see is much more openness around talking about these issues, much less stigma. You know, I think those things go hand in hand. The more that we can have meaningful dialogue and normalise, you know, human experience and and both the good and the bad, that, that, that this is all part of being human, you know, the, the more that that can happen over the next 10 years, the better it's going to be for us. What I'd envisage for policy is I really hope that, you know, whether people support uh, the, the party that we're trying to create or whether they uh, convince the other parties to do something positive about it, um, you know, my hope would be that the Medicare system would be simplified, that people can reach out to help, whether they see a GP first or a psychologist or other counsellor first, it shouldn't matter. They should be able to start getting help and then starting to make a change in their life and get as many sessions as they need to recover. 
Well, I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the show and um, sharing your values and views um, on the Medicare scheme. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Ben Mullings for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. You can find more of our shows at our Brainwaves website, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5 for another episode of Brainwaves. See you then. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.